This episode of The Real Podcast is sponsored by Blackjack Contracting. Blackjack Contracting is a team of skilled trades that helps investors across the greater Golden Horseshoe with medium to large size renovation projects. Not only are they fast and friendly, but their specialty is in creating legal basement suites that helps you, the investors, create higher rental premiums. They are an integral part of my dream team, and I highly encourage you to check them out. Hello and welcome. You're in the Real Estate Investors Lounge. So grab a seat and get comfortable as we dive into the strategies, the mindsets, and the motivations of some of the brightest entrepreneurs in the real estate investment world. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the Real Estate Investors Lounge podcast. Here's your host, Brian Fitzgerald. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Real Estate Investors Lounge. My name is Brian Fitzgerald. And today I'm sitting in with Luke Boyron and Jessica Ann Bukta. With these next guests, I had the privilege of meeting Luke actually on a couple occasions at different networking events. And his ass-kicking partner, Jessica Ann, are operating a very successful business in the shadows of real estate. I'm just joking about the shadows part, but they are wholesalers and therefore are finding off-market deals for their investor clients. If you've ever, ever received a piece of paper in your mailbox that looks like it was handwritten, there is a possibility it came from Jess and Luke, and they just want to buy your house. Does that seem fairly accurate, guys? Yes. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And without giving away all the goods, uh, let's get Jess and Luke on here. And uh, how are you guys doing today? Great. Doing great. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks for having us, Brian. No problem. I'm glad our schedules could finally match up. We're uh, two very busy people for two totally different reasons, but it's all good. <laughs> Before we go too far in the world of wholesaling, let's get a picture of who you guys are and uh, what your world was like before wholesaling. Jess, do you want to start? Sure. So before wholesaling, we didn't actually start off as wholesalers. So a lot of people kind of come to us and say, man, like I see you as a wholesaler. And that's not exactly where our journey began or not at all where our journey began. We began with rentals. So Luke had a student rental up near York University. That was uh, his first purchase back in 2007. So that's really where the journey began. And then, you know, after that point, you know, we got together and we really tried to take the, the real estate business to the next level. What that really entailed was we started off really flipping. So that was, we were thinking, okay, we have some rentals and then we had to pick up more rentals over the years. We have these rentals that are bringing in sort of passive income. But we really wanted to, to start generating some active income to use to invest. And so really, the active side of our journey began in flipping. So we uh, started off as flippers. We've at this point done close to 30 flips. Wow. And that's been over the last four or so years, I would say. And it's funny because the way we got into wholesaling was absolutely kind of happen chance. It wasn't you know planned out or, or we hadn't you know, necessarily even realized we, were, we had become wholesalers. But what it was was we had seven flips on the go. And I was working full-time. Luke, at this point, had transitioned out of his career in law into running the real estate flipping business full-time. And so we didn't really have much of a team. So it was just him and I that were kind of working on these flips, but we weren't doing too, too much in terms of having a team in place and having people that needed to support us. And so you know, we had our contractors, uh, we had different crews we worked with, but it was really just him and I kind of running the ship and, and really Luke running the ship. So at this point, we had seven flips on the go and we had another lead come in from our marketing for a really great opportunity, it seemed like. 
And I remember we, Lucy and I were sitting down and we were kind of scratching our heads saying, um, should we pursue this lead or should we just kind of let it go? We're way too busy with the seven flip. It's taking up way too much of our time. We just cannot manage another flip right now. And so Luke actually went out to meet the homeowner. We got the property under contract and said, okay, what do we do with this great property? We have it at a great price, but we just don't have the capacity to take it on right now. And so we called one of our other real estate investor colleagues and said, hey, we have this great property. I know you flip houses too. Do you want to kind of work together on this one? And essentially what we did was we wholesaled that property to the other investor. So that's really where the, the wholesaling journey began. That was the aha moment? Yes, that was it. I was to touch on what we were doing before is Jess and I both met in law school. We did a joint uh, law degree and MBA program at the Osgood Law School and Schulich School of Business. So we did a joint JD MBA. And then we both articled, got called to the bar. And as soon as I got called to the bar, I went into real estate full time. <laughs> and Jess continued in law for several more years. She was constantly doing real estate on the side, but she only recently left her job at a law firm to get into real estate full-time as well. So that was our kind of background. I actually went to law school because I thought that I already had some rental properties and I thought if I go to law school and become a lawyer, I can get a good paying job on Bay Street. I can then use that income to get for mortgages to buy rental properties. So my reason to become a lawyer was to buy rental properties, which is a terrible reason to become a lawyer. And that's clearly why I didn't like it. <laughs> right, right. That's funny. So let's talk about what you guys are doing now. So obviously you started with flips, transition, you had that moment where you basically flipped the paperwork for a property for a wholesale. Now, what is wholesaling for those people that don't know? Yeah, so other people call it assignment of contract. What basically what we do is we flip contracts. So instead of closing on the property and renovating it, we buy the property at a discount from home sellers and then assign it still at a discount to other real estate investors. And basically, if we, let's say, buy a $400,000 property for, let's say, $320,000, then we can sell it to another investor for $350,000. That way, the other investor is still getting a discount on the property. They're mm -hmm. saving $50,000 from their purchase price. And we're making a $30,000 wholesale fee or assignment fee for having brought them that discount. Right. And who's typically buying these wholesale offers that you guys are putting out there? So instead of the other real estate investors, so ranging from investors looking to buy a property and hold it long-term, rent it out, to other flippers, and sometimes we even work with uh, real estate agents if they have you know, a client that, that's looking for a specific property, this one matches their criteria. So it's really across the board, mostly real estate investors. We do on the off chance have individual buyers that are brought to us that are just looking for that kind of property. Okay, mm -hmm. cool. Individual buyers like homeowners, it might be about 5% of what we sell. Okay. The other 95% are slightly more flippers with me. So let's say about 55% flippers and about 40% landlords. I don't have those numbers exactly, but that's just an estimate. So would you say that the majority of these properties then are, are somewhat in distress that they can be flipped? Yes. Okay. A property that we, we recently purchased off market, this is one that we're keeping ourselves. But it was in wonderful condition. It was sellers who were in their 80s, who had owned it since it was new in 1976, took wonderful care of the property. They were just getting older and didn't have a car anymore, couldn't get around, couldn't take care of the gardens anymore. And so we bought that one. They just didn't want to have to deal with showings or the stress of that. And so that's one that Jess chose that she wants to keep 
in our long-term <laughs> rental portfolio, turn that into a duplex? Just chose. Just chose. Yeah, it sounds like a good one, right? Those uses are current ones that we come across. Usually they need some work. But sometimes we do have properties that we're able to get a discount because we're helping the seller solve a problem, but it's not a rundown. It's not necessarily a problem that has to do with maintenance or upkeep of a property. It's some other factor. And so condition really varies. Usually there is some work that needs to be done, but this one actually is in really great shape. So we're going to hold on to it. Okay. Cool. And I'll tell you, if you join our buyer's list, some of the houses we send out, maybe some of the worst, worst houses you've ever seen. For I can give you an example of one we bought not too long ago in Ottawa, that they didn't have running water for five years. Cool. And with that, it was a hoarder's house. There was a bathtub full of urine and feces because they couldn't use the toilet to flush. But uh-huh. the bathtub had started leaking, so they plugged it, filled it up. And then they started using water jugs to go to the bathroom in, and they threw those into a back addition that had collapsed. So there's 300 jugs of urine. So that was the worst one we've ever bought. I'd say so. And yeah. there's kind of everything in between. There's a some sellers sell to us, uh, because as you know, a lot of Canadians live paycheck to paycheck. Some sellers sell to us when they're paycheck to paycheck for many years. And over that time, 10, 20 years, they just don't have the money to keep up with repairs on the house. So slowly, it falls more and more apart. You know, they can't fix the roof. They start to have a leak in the basement. They don't know how to fix it, so on and so forth. And then eventually, they get to the point where they're like, this house is barely inhabitable anymore. I need to sell and because I haven't had the money to fix it. For the past 10 or 15 years, I still don't have the money to fix it. So they sell to us. And they find you guys. Okay. So what types of properties are you guys wholesaling? We talked about distress, but is that the only realm that you guys are dealing in? We're pretty much open to any sort of real estate. So we started off our wholesaling journey doing primarily single family detached homes. But we've throughout the years, we've done condos, we've done condo townhouses, the exciting thing is we're now moving into multifamily and commercial properties. So that's sort of our next area of expansion in terms of property type. But really, I mean, with the property Luke mentioned just now that, you know, with, with the bathtub full of excrement, that actually we pretty much looks at it as land value. So really, I mean, we're open to any piece of real estate. Traditionally, we've mostly done single family homes, but we're moving into all different spaces now, really expanding our team and, and moving into to different types of real estate. Awesome. Yeah, and that expansion into multifamily, that's more taking the sniper rifle approach. Because right now, with the deals we get, what we look for is the biggest discount, not for any specific type of property. So we take a very broad, you know, the shotgun approach. We take a very broad scope, trying to find whatever we can get at a good enough discount. As we go forward, we want to be looking, in addition to what we're doing, we're not stopping what we're doing. In addition, we're going to be taking more of that sniper rifle approach and targeting specific properties, specific types of properties, and specifically looking for deals in that segment. And that's kind of what we're going to be doing with the commercial and the multifamily going forward. Very cool. That's really in response to what our buyers are looking for. When running our business, we always want to make sure that we're responding to to the wants and to the needs of our buyers and we're following along with any trends. So right now, for example, bungalow conversions, bungalow duplex conversions on the Hamilton Mountain are very hot. So we're looking for those. And so wherever it is that our buyers, our existing buyers, our new buyers are coming to us saying, hey, I really want this type of property. We're going to look out for that in addition to you know the properties that we're picking up in our day-to-day. So multifamily has actually come up as an area where uh, it's, you know people are having a hard time finding deals on the MLS or through brokers. It's very competitive. And so even if you can get a small, a smaller discount, maybe on a multifamily building, over so many units, it really makes sense to, and it adds up. 
um, in terms of a veteran scan. So that's what we're following. We're following trends. We're following our buyers. We're seeing what they're looking for, and we're trying to cater to that. Jess is a very determined person. We've had people tell us, oh, well, you can't buy you can't buy multifamily at a discount. There's too many people looking for them. You won't be able to find them at a discount. And I think for Jess and for both of us, really, there's a bit of a challenge aspect to it. it well, watch us. Yeah, challenge you say accepted. we can't do it, we're going to. Yeah. Exactly. No, the principles are still the same, right? Like maybe it's the same idea where there's a property in distress and they don't want it to go to the open market. They don't want to have the hassles of showings. They don't want to pay realtor fees. Like the principles are, absolutely to me, are, are the same. So I, I don't see why anybody would say that. So I, I Not applaud to mention, you to kick their asses. <laughs> As you know, in the multifamily space, many landlords, when they're kind of just sniffing around to see if they can sell, they don't want to let tenants know and scare tenants away or have problems with tenants, especially when they're self-managing. So they don't want tenants to know that they're selling. Right. So if they put it on the open market, tenants may find out if they're selling privately. And that's why you see so many multifamily properties trade as pocket listings from real estate brokers. I'm basically looking to get them directly from the sellers rather than from the pocket listing. Would you consider buying a property that you haven't seen the inside? Maybe the landlord has a multi-unit, like let's say a duplex, and he's got pictures of the place, doesn't want to let the tenants know, just wants to offload. Would you consider something like that without actually seeing it physically? I would 100% put it under contract, conditional on due diligence, Yeah, and then walk through and just let the tenants know that we're doing a fire inspection or something of the sort. Okay. And what is what is due diligence to you guys on something like that? Well, a lot of times due diligence means whatever you want it to mean, right? <laughs> You're <laughs> looking true. into anything and everything. Yeah, That's one of the great things on multifamily. And we've taken some of those concepts from multifamily contracts and put them into our residential ones, which allow us more visits, more broad reasons to back out of a contract. But yeah, in the multifamily space, the, the clause is typically just a due diligence clause, which is looking into rents, confirming expenses, doing an inspection to make sure it's condition you want, checking zoning and that the number of units is permitted or that or what you plan to do with the property is permitted. So all of that falls into due diligence. So really, if you have um, generally any reason to back out that is not specifically excluded, you would be allowed to on the due diligence condition. Okay, that makes sense. So at the start for the little intro about you guys, little tidbit, I mentioned that piece of paper showing up in your mailbox, but tell me how you find these deals and why people would be calling you over their neighborhood agent. I know we talked about distressed properties, but are there other reasons why they would reach out to you guys versus going, you know, the more typical route? Yeah, we've had so many different reasons that people call us. I mean, one that I remember that we, we didn't end up buying the house, but she did not want to sell through a realtor because she had 12 cats in the house. And she was worried that if a realtor showed her house, they might leave the door open. A cat might get out and might run out on the street and get hit by a car. <laughs> so... She did not want to sell through a realtor because she was afraid of losing one of her cats. It sounds wild, but that type of thing exists. Another thing, and I don't know if people talk enough about the disease that is hoarding. It's a mental problem. But most of the hoarders I've met, they understand that how they are living is not normal and it's not okay. They don't want people coming through their house and judging them. And that's something that we offer. We are not judging these people on how they live. We understand that it is a problem. It's an illness. It's an illness, right? It's an illness. Yeah. And they can't control it. But they don't want an open house and having the neighbors walking through their house and judging them. Right. Even if it's not an open house, they don't want people coming through their house and, you know, that they might know going, how do you live like this? And that's kind of reflects also in, in just in general rundown properties. It's not necessarily that just because the person maybe doesn't have the motivation to fix it or the money to fix it, that doesn't mean they don't believe that they would like to have a nice house. 
and they don't, and they understand that. So embarrassment is a real reason. We also offer like simplicity, ease, and flexibility. So we can, for example, flexibility, we can buy a property closing February 15th because they need to go buy another property or find a rental, but we can put in a clause that allows them to move up or be either back or forward the closing date by 20 days with enough notice, for example. So that allows them to buy another place and have, you know, kind of a a 40-day window to close and be able to move the closing date to match it up. And yeah, so the ease of the transaction is just not having to wonder whether it's going to be sold, not having to deal with leaving the house for showings. Like I said, that older couple, because they don't drive, every time they would have to do a showing, they would want to leave the house, go walk around the neighborhood. They're in their 80s. You know, winter is is coming now. They don't want to be out walking around in the cold just because someone wants to come through and see their house. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, and the flip side of that too is, you know, we can have a, a wider range of, of closing dates, like Luke said, but we can also close very quickly. And so the, the fastest we close a deal is actually five days, five calendar days. So, you know, if somebody's in, in a real pickle and they need to sell quickly, I mean, five calendar days, I mean, that's just barely enough time to, to get a listing together, get photos done and get, get it thrown up on the MLS, right? There's no way that can happen through that traditional sort of realtor route. And so really the way we look at it too is, is solving problems. So a homeowner comes to us because they have a problem, whatever it might be. I mean, we mentioned a couple. There's also, you know, people going through divorce. We had a seller once who had one of their adult children living in the house. They just said, you know what? Like, I can't get my kid out of the house. I just need to sell the house and move on. And that's the only way they'll actually move out. So such a wide range of different reasons why people do sell. But it's about really, for, from our point of view, is identifying that problem and seeing how we can help resolve it in a creative way. And we've done all kinds of, you know, creative financing. We've, we've you know, rented houses back to, to tenants for a, a short while after closing, if that's what's necessary. It's really just making it easy on um, on the seller and helping them help us. No. So it's really working together as a team. And that's kind of how we work with, with our buyers, too, is having them understand that, you know, you're getting a property at a discount. It's not a traditional sale. So there might be, you know, different elements that are outside of the norm, but, that's what was necessary to, to get creative and to really help resolve the problem that the homeowner had. Yeah, it sounds really, like you said, flexible and and kind of accommodating to whatever their situation is, which is, you know, that's that's going to be half the battle in any real estate transaction anyways, right? So, and you guys are providing that. It's almost like a service you're offering. It is. I consider it that the price the seller is willing to pay for our services. And for some of the sellers who contact us, their discomfort to the traditional selling process or the situation they're in is not enough to pay the price of the discount that we're getting. And for some of them, it's a bargain. So it depends on the situation and what they're willing to pay for it. Yeah, and what it's worth to them, right? Exactly. Awesome. Now, you guys are putting these properties under contract, and I'm sure, as you mentioned, there's the odd place that Jess likes and she wants to buy. But how do you secure these with the seller? Because there's no money exchanging hands, really. You're just trying to basically... Uh, and I don't mean to, I don't want to sound like I'm undermining, but you're flipping the paperwork in a way, right? To the next investor. What happens if something doesn't go right or where does money come into play here? Like, can you do this with no money in your pocket? So I, I bought one deal that I assigned and I made a $20,000 assignment fee, I believe, in Burlington that I gave the seller a $10 bill as a deposit. Hmm. And I asked, oh, do you want me to send a larger deposit to your lawyer once you find a lawyer? He said, no, I trust you. That was fine. The transaction Jess was talking about that we closed in five days, we gave them a loony. That was it. That was the deposit fully on the property. Now, that's not typical. We don't give very large deposits. We give you know 
thousand dollars, a couple thousand dollar deposits, but those are refundable regardless because we don't typically give them to the seller. We give them to the seller's lawyer to hold or our own lawyer to hold in trust for the, for the transaction. So I guess what we have is if we firm up the deal and then we, our buyer backs out or something like that, then we're at risk. But the deposit is directly at risk, but it's not even the biggest concern because technically you're on the hook for any loss that the seller would have. We feel more protected because if the seller sells to us at a good discount, even if our buyer backs out and the seller sells it, has to sell it again, which would be really unfortunate, then they are likely selling it for more than we paid or around what we paid. Very unlikely they're going to take a loss because we're buying it at a discount. Right. Now, we're really only liable for loss they take because we backed out of the contract after the conditional period, after firming up. So during the conditional period, if we realize, you know, we overpaid, we don't have buyers for it, we don't want to close on it ourselves, et cetera, then we say, you know, we're not going to firm up on this and then we get our deposit back. Okay. And that's really rare, Brian. So most of the time, I mean, when we look at a property and we look at what we can pay for it, you know, at a price that we would be comfortable paying either as a flipper or as a landlord buyer. And so we put a lot of care into making sure that the price actually makes sense. You know, if somebody's looking for a very close to market value on a property, they likely won't get it under contract just because we're not offering too much. We can go a little closer to market value on discount on high demand properties. Like I mentioned, the, the duplex conversion is Hamilton Mountain. We know we can go a little bit closer to market because it's just a big demand for that type of product right now. But really, I mean, we run the numbers on the back end before making any offers in terms of would we buy this as a flipper or a landlord ourselves? Because we do have that experience. We know, you know, what numbers we need to be at for, for different markets. And so a lot of care actually is put into the back end to make sure that, you know, it's a number that, that works for us. Okay. And, and these assignment deals, how long are these agreements for? Are we talking like a few days, a few months? You mean the conditional period? Yes. Our conditional period is usually on residential. We usually are 10 to 15 business days. Okay. That's pretty quick. So you basically get under contract and then put it out to your, your buyer list? Exactly. We put it under contract and we typically try within 24 to 48 hours to have the details prepared, sent out to our buyer's list. Then we will set up a one-time showing. Mm -hmm. Like we said, we try to make this easy on the sellers, so we don't want to have multiple different showing times and all of that. We set a one-time showing. We don't want more than, let's say, four or five groups of people at most to come through the property on that one showing. So if we have too many, we'll kind of read through our buyers and see who's most motivated on this and most serious about it. Okay. And then we have kind of a one-time offer date. It's not like MLS offers where we're trying to you know, severely underprice it and get way above asking. But I find we, we price them pretty well. So on average, I'd say our average is slightly, maybe a few thousand above our asking prices, maybe our average sale price. Sometimes we sell it below, sometimes we sell it above. Okay. So on average, we're maybe a couple thousand above. And sometimes that means we're 20,000 above our asking. And sometimes it means if there's room in our assignment fee and, and it didn't have the interest that we thought, sometimes it's 20,000 under our asking price. Okay. Gotcha. I'd like to go down a different path now, if you don't mind. Um, obviously, sure. we've covered wholesaling a lot, but when it comes to expanding your network, and I know last time I spoke with you, Luke, I think it was at the GAIN event, okay. Alex and Kaylee Powell, and you guys yeah. were just talking about breaking into the Ottawa area. Now, mm -hmm. how important is social media when it comes to you guys growing your business and your portfolio? For a portfolio, I think Jess can speak to that that a little bit more, but on the business side, one of the things we found was we needed to get out. So social media has helped because we have 
certain times people hear about what we're doing. They don't know if we're a legitimate business, things like that. And people who have seen what we're doing on social media will kind of step up and defend us. They'll say, no, I know these people. I've seen what they're doing. They are really running a, a real business. They're not doing anything wrong. So that helps. And I also have found like just getting out and networking. Yeah. So I, I think that's also vital because, for example, when we were in Ottawa at first, we were having trouble selling some of our deals because people didn't know who we were. And as we expanded our network out there, suddenly people who maybe weren't spending the time to even look at the email blast, even though they were on our email list, they realized that we were legitimate. We were real there were real deals in their inbox and then people started taking it more seriously. And, and I think by getting our name out there and meeting people, it helped to better sell our properties on the business side. I think on the, on expanding the network for our portfolio, I think Jess can touch on that a little bit more. Sure. Yeah. On the portfolio side, it's a little bit different. Um, it's more just keeping our contacts and our friends um, in the loop in terms of what we're doing. So we've got, I think right now we've got about five new projects we're working on. A lot of projects we actually do with joint venture partners, either on the lending side or on the lending and hold side combined. So it's a lot of people know what you're doing. And, and that's really the power of social media is just being connected with people, showing them what you're up to, um, what type of property you're working on. Um, because a lot of our joint venture partners are really busy. So a lot of them are, you know, working a full-time job. They're interested in real estate. They want to invest in real estate, but they just don't have the time to run a, for example, a duplex conversion and start to finish on their own, learn the whole process, you know, figure it out with the city, find the contractors, et cetera, all that stuff. But they really want to learn. And so the great thing about that is they can partner with us. They can be you know, the silent money partner or the active partner, and they can kind of follow along and, and see how a conversion, for example, is done from start to finish. We update them regularly on progress. And that's the power of social media is people saying, wow, you know, Jack and Luke are doing really cool projects. Maybe I want to, you know, work with them on a project one day. Learn from that. And then a lot of our joint venture partners eventually go out and do, you know, do the whole process on their own because now they know how to do it. They have that comfort. They've seen it done from start to finish. And, you know, once they maybe free up some time, then they might want to go back and, and, you know, and do a project on their own or just continue working with us. So it's, it's really powerful in terms of letting people know what you're up to and, and what you're working on in terms of your project. Right. And that's that's really cool. I didn't I didn't actually realize that you guys were doing more than wholesaling. I, I know you've got a buy and hold portfolio, but I didn't know you were kind of going into that realm as well. And that's that's really cool. Good for you guys. Yeah, we've been doing that. So that's kind of how we, we started off. And then when we were flipping, I think it was really it was very, very active. And we were doing, you know, lots of at the same time. So we sort of put the, uh, the buy and hold a little bit on the back burner, I would say. I mean, we were doing, you know, one or two a year. And going into 2020, we've got five new projects that we're picking up in December of this year that'll, you know, get started into the new year. And we're really trying to focus on building out that portfolio as well. So that's sort of where... Where I come in, like Luke Moore runs the day-to-day of the wholesaling company. I run the, the day-to-day of the, the buy and hold, but we work together on both. For sure. As we're getting into more multifamily, we want like into the multifamily wholesaling side. We also want to be building our multifamily portfolio, but we struggle to turn down projects that are going to be very good cash flow, like some duplexes. Recently picked up a duplex conversion or possible duplex conversion in Brockville, a bungalow there, several in Ottawa including one that we're going to duplex and turn the garage into a separate coach house. So we're going to be able to turn a bungalow into three units. So it's hard to turn those down when we're going to cash flow, you know, many of them between 500 and a thousand a month when it's all done after refinancing. Right. That's cool. So tell us where the business came from, where it is now, and more importantly, where you guys are going from here. Obviously we've kind of actually covered where it came from, but where, 
Where do you guys go from here? We're in the GTA right now. You mentioned we sent it to Ottawa. We've been in Ottawa for close to a year now. We're doing really, really great there, finding lots of great deals. And so the natural next progression for us is Montreal expansion. So we started off kind of locally in our market, and we've sort of been spreading kind of across Canada. So I don't know, Luke, you can probably touch on that a little more. Yeah, so I would touch on last year as well. Like a lot of our properties last year were flips with a few wholesales and a few rentals. So we bought about 25 houses in 2018. 2019 till now, which is end of November, we've bought about 80 houses so far this year. Wow. To do that, our team has grown a lot. We have, I think, 16 employees now on our team. And we have two acquisition reps and quite a large team supporting those two. We're planning on adding two new acquisition reps. So we're going to have four people meeting with sellers and buying houses. And as Jeff mentioned, that does include expanding into Montreal, which will be our first expansion outside of Ontario. So it's a bit of geographic expansion. It's a bit of getting deeper into the existing markets we're in. And it's a bit of building a team that can run this business without us you know, burning the candle at both ends. We're really trying to um, build out great people on our team to support us and to be able to take charge and it's been a real focus to rather than hiring order takers that kind of do what we tell them to, hiring people who can make decisions for themselves and grow the business themselves rather than us being the only driving force in the business. Okay. And that's been really huge for us is, you know, making sure that everyone on our team takes ownership. And we've built this really, really great team uh, in part because we hire for personality and for alignment with our core values. And so the way that we take ownership of every single project that we've been involved with, our team also sees that and they're bought into that vision that we have in terms of, you know, this year, we're close to doing 100 deals. Next year, we want to do 150 to 200 deals. And so to do that, we really need a, a strong team supporting us on the back end. And that's really what's, what's helped us grow so much in the last year or so, is having really good people on the team that see our vision, have ownership of their own tasks, and really work collaboratively to come together as a team and to solve problems both for sellers, but also problems that come up day to day when you're running a business and just take that ownership and having having pride in the, the product and the service that you deliver. That's really what we instill in all of our employees. That's incredible, guys. Like you, I, I hope you guys are proud of yourselves. That's pretty pretty incredible accomplishment. Thanks, Brian. We're uh, trying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd, say, I'd say you're trying just fine. You're okay. What do you guys see in the future of real estate and real estate investing, whether for you guys or the masses? I actually think so. We're buying in Ottawa. I think Ottawa is actually a really good market going forward. Longer, like in the next five to 10 years. I know I know. Rain has said Ottawa is a top market to invest in, but I'm really seeing that just the rent prices compared to the return for the size of the city and the appeal of the city with the population influx there. I really see that as a great area for people investing. I don't like to try to time the market in terms of you know, is the market going to be up in a year or down? Is there going to be a, a dip or a recession that is going to affect real estate prices? I don't know, but I know 20 years from now, I'd like to own more real estate than today. And that's what I'm investing for, for the long term. So I think things will continue becoming less affordable for people. I think rents are going to continue increasing. And so I think that at this point, it makes sense to buy as many rentals as you can. And you're going to have the, those rental boosts by a good amount more than inflation, obviously, as tenants turn over. Agreed. So Ottawa was normally labeled as kind of like a transient area where people are kind of in and out, not a lot of... Per are you guys like central Ottawa? Or are you on the outskirts? Or are you covering the whole area? 
we're in the whole area. So we're, I mean, we're in the city of Ottawa, but we're also finding properties in Smith Falls and Kingston and Brockville, sort of all around the Ottawa area. I think there's a lot of, I think, you know, the West End's really, really appreciated, like GTA and West. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very, very good market to invest in there. You know, we've seen Hamilton shoot up like crazy. Brantford's a really great spot that, that we invest in as well. But we're looking east. I think that's maybe the next area investors are going to be looking at once, you know, the, the West has really kind of shot up in value and prices are super high. But, you know, the East End still hasn't had that appreciation yet um, or hasn't, hasn't seen that same level of appreciation. So we're, we're really kind of looking everywhere. We're looking for, for pockets that present opportunities. You know, Canopy Growth is now in Smith Falls. I mean, Smith Falls had, uh, you know, a Hershey chocolate factory. That got shut down and, you know, it's a small enough place. But now, you know, we have a big employer, Canopy Growth, doing super well that's come in there. So it's really about we invest in the fundamentals of the market. But you also have to kind of look out and, and be in the know and keep in the loop in terms of opportunity areas. And so, you know, where are new businesses settling in? There's a lot of new businesses settling in, in in Ottawa. The high tech sector is picking up there again. So you really just need to understand market fundamentals, but also, you know, economic factors that are affecting a certain population. Interesting outlook. I like it. Now, you guys, I, I don't know if you know this, but we do a bit of a fire round here on the on the podcast. Like I, I've mentioned before, everybody's come out alive. So that's good. The stats are in your favor. You guys mind participating in a little fire round? Sure, that'd be great. Let's do it. The fire round. Okay, where do you guys see yourselves in the next twelve months? I know you touched on this, but let's go at it again. So for me, I see myself out of the day to day of this current wholesaling business and working on another business. So what I see is is uh, the business having grown and having great people in it, so that I'm more, working more of an advisor role maybe a couple hours a day, but that I can focus on uh, kind of my next passion, growing another business. And um, and that's where I see myself. Jeff, what about you? I think the next 12 months, I really want to see our multifamily and commercial wholesaling business really take off. We started that. I want to really, really grow that over the next year and grow uh, our, our personal buy and hold portfolio as well, either personally or with uh, joint venture partners. I think there's a lot of opportunity now for, for creating that, that passive income. And um, something that both Luke and I have been planning sort of, it's been on our vision board, I guess you can say, for the last little while is being able to spend a couple months every winter in the Canary Islands. So that's part of Spain, kind of off the coast of uh, Western Africa. So I'm hoping that, you know, maybe near the end of the next 12 months, we'll be able to take some time and, you know, work remotely or just enjoy ourselves outside of Canada. Okay, so Luke and Jess will be expanding their portfolio into Spain. Got it. (laughs) Got it. Awesome. Where, Maybe. Yeah, I, I mean, the sky's the limit for you guys, right? So okay, once you conquer Canada, you'll be looking for a different place. You might as well go somewhere warm. Where do you guys see the market in the next 12 months? Again, I don't profess to have a crystal ball. I don't see any particular reason why the market is not going to be doing well in the next 12 months unless the government steps in and changes some rules again. So if there's no substantial changes to interest rates, government intervention, we're starting to see a bit of a rebound from the previous government rules, but there's still an underlying aspect of affordability that is just hard for people to buy. So I would say we're going to see an uptick in prices. It's not going to be crazy, but prices, I would expect the next 12 months prices to continue to go up. And obviously that does not work everywhere. Certain places, you know, the West end of the GTA, uh, like I know where you mostly are, you know, Hamilton, Brantford, Woodstock, Niagara, they were not hit as badly with the uh, government rules in April 2017. But when I look at the east end of the GTA, 
where prices had gone up, you know, in Oshawa, 40% year over year, they actually fell 40% as well. So those are rebounding now, and I think will continue to as well. So there's not an overall market. I understand Montreal is on a tear right now. It will probably continue. Ottawa is appreciating well. It will probably continue. And I think all of the GTA is kind of getting out of that stagnant phase and is going to continue going up a little bit, again, unless there's some sort of rule or intervention that comes in place. Jess, do you concur? I concur. Agreed. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Who do you guys learn from? Wow. So we're part of a mastermind group in the U.S. I don't know if you want to talk about that, Jess. Sure. Yeah. So we're part of a a flipping house flipping mastermind in the U.S. So um, essentially it's a group of of house flippers um, across North America get together and, you know, we share what's going well in our business. We share what's not going so well and just brainstorm which to build build our businesses. Um, So that's been a huge source of learning for us. I mean, we learn a lot from our peers. I mean, it's a lot of it's going to networking events and listening to what other people are doing, kind of learning a little bit here and there. I know when we were first starting off, uh, Bigger Pockets was a great, great resource. I mean, it was huge for us to really get some insight into different, you know, investing strategies, different books and courses out there. I mean, fundamentally, a lot of what we've learned is just by doing. So it's getting out there, getting our hands dirty. Has every single project we've done been profitable? No. No, some some of them have not worked out well. But thankfully, those are very, very early projects where, you know, we learned our lessons and we've, you know, kind of taken those lessons and applied them to uh, to future projects. So really, it's about just gaining experience because sometimes, you know, it's easy for someone to say, okay, this is how you do it. But until you actually do it yourself, it's um, you don't realize the importance of certain things or like how to work with certain trades or, or what to watch out for when you're buying a house, you know, those kind of things you really learn by doing. That's been the, been the greatest source. I don't know if you agree, Luke, it's the greatest source of our learning has just been experience, a ton of experience doing lots of projects and learning along the way. Yeah, doing the projects and also just observing other people, because even if someone isn't doing, let's say, as much volume as we are or something like that, that doesn't mean they we don't have anything to learn from them. We learn from pretty much everyone we meet. And there's a lot of people, even doing their first project, sometimes people will do something I've never thought of because they don't know anything different. And it's genius, right? So we're always looking for little things that we can tweak to improve our processes, improve our business and improve the real estate that we're buying. So other people help us a lot. Okay, great. Read a book or listen to a podcast. Any in particular that stick out? I love the Real Estate to Bigger Pockets podcast. It's been great that they brought on a lot of people from every level. They have people that are just starting out. But they also have people that are thinking really big. And that's been very good for just building up my mindset on possibility. So I've always liked that podcast. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's a really great podcast. I actually watch the podcast. I guess I'm not a very good auditory listener. So I actually, they, they recorded it. And so I watch it on YouTube, which is kind of funny. And so like, I remember one time Luke came in and I had, I had you know, the podcast on on YouTube and, you know, Brandon was talking and, and Luke was like, oh my God, that's what these guys look like. <laughs> <laughs> but it was like the funniest thing because he had always just listened to people's voice. And I guess when you listen to someone's voice, you have this sort of mental image you create of what they look like, right? And then you see them in person, it's never the, you know, what you expect. So that, that was kind of funny. But yeah, I like watching videos on YouTube just because you get to, like you get that visual, you get to see kind of what's going on. And obviously, I mean, it's not the most handy. Obviously, when you're, when you're driving, you can't do that. When you're on the road, you can't really do it. But it's sort of a good supplemental, I guess, supplemental learning piece to uh, to the podcast. Awesome. If you guys could do one thing differently in the last year, what would that be? So I don't know what it is for Jess, but for me, I would have a year ago or more brought in. I had trouble relinquishing control of bookkeeping and accounting. And as we grew, it became problematic because I'm not even that good at it. (laughs) 
<laughs> so, but I, I also was terrified of people making mistakes in it. So I kept control over it. And that's something I have a very experienced controller and accountant that we uh, has agreed to start working for us. Hopefully that goes through. And I believe that will make things a lot easier for me. And I wish I had done that a year ago. Good one. Yeah, I, and I agree. I mean, I think a lot of it too is just bringing on some of the bigger key players on our team earlier on. Um, because, you know, for, for a while we had been doing kind of everything on our own. And really, I mean, I was working a full-time job, very demanding full-time job in law. So Luke was taking on a lot of the burden. But, you know, once we had that mentality shift of, you know, let's build out a team and really make this into a self-sustaining business at some point. I mean, that, that's been huge for us in the last year. So I wish we had done it sooner. But I'm really glad we have done it. I'm glad we have grown our team. That's probably been one of the biggest value add for us, both in the business and in our day-to-day lives, you know, building out that team to support us. That's been huge. Awesome. Great answer. What is a valuable piece of information that you take with you that you would share with the listeners? For me, one of them is just about thinking big enough. I think we, we are our own biggest limiting factor in our own success. And we've grown quickly, but it's taken a long time since I bought that first property in 2007 to get to the mentality of what we could do. And I think there's still limiting beliefs all the time that keep us down. And and sometimes I like to think about what would my business look like if it was easy and then try to build that around it so that, well, you know, if this accounting was easy, be because I have an accountant who's experienced who's doing it and guiding it and knows what they're doing and they're doing all of that. Great. Okay. So that's what I need to do. So I'm trying to design it that way. So yeah, I think just thinking bigger, you know, when I started off, I thought if I could only buy, you know, 15 or 20 houses a year, that would be amazing. And now we're saying, you know, 150 to 200 next year. And I don't see why before I had a limiting belief, you couldn't do that much. And now I don't see why it wouldn't be possible for someone to buy 500 or a thousand houses in a year. It's completely doable, but I had that mindset that that wasn't doable or it wasn't doable for me or it wasn't doable in Canada. And that is a limiting belief that many Canadians have. You see Americans growing these huge businesses around real estate, and uh, you don't see the same extent of that in Canada. So I think that's something that is worth expanding the mindset here in Canada. I like it. Yeah, I think that's well said. Um, the only thing I would maybe even add to that is analysis paralysis. It's one thing that we, we see so often. And then we see it sometimes with our buyers where they really want to pull the trigger but they get so bogged down in like running the numbers and get into the nitty gritty details of like, oh, you know, this hot water tank is a little older than I'd like it to be. Hmm, I don't know if I should buy this house. And it's at the end of the day is buying a property, even if it's not the like, most ideal, best deal possible out there in the market right now, will still get you ahead. I mean, run the numbers, make sure you're, you know, at least breaking even if it's, um, if it's a buy and hold on a flip, you know, make sure you're making a certain percentage that you want to make. But at a certain point, just pull the trigger because I see so many new investors where they really want to move forward, but they just kind of get paralyzed in, in running the numbers and looking at deals. And I mean, they're looking at 20, 30, 40 deals sometimes, but not buying any single one of them. And oftentimes that they, you know, kind of took a, a break, stopped and looked back, probably 80% of those could have been really good deal. Would they have been ideal? No. But Getting a good deal under contract, working with it helps get you so much more confidence and you know really hone your abilities to go on to the next deal. And so it's really just getting started. And so the perfect deal is you know some elusive kind of you know property that's out there. Maybe you'll find it likely you won't, but 
by doing more, you get ahead so much faster. And so that's really the big thing I see is just like pulling the trigger, going for it and moving on to the next one and just gaining that momentum. Yep. Oh, I agree. And uh, it's a reoccurring theme on this podcast where people are just, they need to take the action. And then, you know, you learn, as, as you guys said, you learn so much from the experiences and that's what people just need to do. I think a lot of times. Absolutely. Awesome guys. Well, that concludes the fire round. You guys good? Any wounds? No wounds? No wounds. Okay? No burn. Only minor, okay. minor wounds. <laughs> okay, good, good. At least the scars. Just I, the I heard that people dig. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, that that concludes it, guys. I really appreciate you taking the time. I know you guys are in two different places right now, so thanks for uh, patching me in, and really appreciate uh, the breakdown on wholesaling. And I'm excited to see what you guys are going to be doing over the next twelve months, and what the the world has in store for you guys, or what you guys have in store for the world, really. <laughs> Thanks for having us on. Yeah, really appreciate it. Awesome. And uh, thank you very much. And I wish you guys all the best and uh, have an awesome day. You too. You too. All right. Take, take care. care, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. From the Real Estate Investors Lounge, thanks for listening. Be sure to check out our website at www.reilounge.ca for more episodes and information. Yeah.